Well, good morning. We are glad that you're with us here at North Star today. We are kicking off a new sermon series uh, this week called Love Your City. It's something that we do usually uh, in and around the fall each year where we get a, a focus on uh, looking and ministering within our community. Uh, we're also kicking off this week a Life on Mission small group study. Uh, we've got small groups that are meeting uh, all throughout the week, and that's one of the things that we talk a lot here at North Stars about the importance of being involved with a small group. And we don't always do this, but there are certain times during the year uh, that um, usually about once a year or so, uh, sometimes maybe more, that all of our small groups are going through the exact same study. And uh, we are kicking that off uh, with the small groups this week called Life on Mission. And uh, that's what the video was about. We've been showing this uh, for, the, for the last few weeks. So we just uh, want to make that available and let you know that that's kind of the direction uh, that we are going and heading, that we as believers are supposed to be living a life on mission. And that, that's what affects the, the, the different things that we do as a church. Wesley's already mentioned it, but that handout that you received on the way in, we've got the details for our upcoming mission trips and stuff like that. But we've also got some different projects, and if you have uh, been with us for a while, you have seen and uh, are kind of used to some of the things that we normally do. Well, some of those projects have taken on a different look uh, this year than they have in the past because of us doing our faith commitment giving. Through doing that faith commitment giving, there are a lot of ministry opportunities that we have done in the past during Love Your City that we're now doing those year-round, or we've already had opportunities for those. Salvation Army is one of those things. We have fed Salvation Army many times, and we have been feeding them through the year. Well, as a part of Love Your City, we are going to be feeding Salvation Army again. We've just got a couple of dates uh, that are listed for that because, you know, we have been doing it other times in the year. And if you're interested in signing up for that, we've got that at guest services. Uh, Celebrate Recovery, we have fed them for the last uh, couple of years during a, a set period of time and what we're going to be doing again this year because that is an important ministry of our church. We've got great opportunities uh, to minister to people in the midst of their hurts and their needs and difficulties as they're, as they're going through life. One of the things that they do in CR is they provide a meal. I don't know if you realize that they do that. There's not a charge to the people who come. Uh, food is not free anywhere unless you're like under 16, then I think you know uh, the food is free. But, you know, for us growing up, we realize, you know, somebody's got to pay. Uh, but uh, they provide a meal just for the folks that come. And uh, what we're going to do as a church is we're going to help minister to them. And uh, we're going to take over the providing for that meal and the cooking and preparation and serving and all of that. And we're going to do that every Monday in October. So that's something else that you can sign up for to help as we do one of those CR meals. Um, if you have been with us a while, you're probably wondering or you probably haven't thought of it, but I'm going to bring it to your attention that, you know, we're midway through September and nobody has said anything about candy yet. Uh, usually what we do is starting in August, we start making a push uh, for candy for Fall Fest. But if you look inside that flyer, you will see that, yes, we are doing Fall Fest this year, but no, it is not going to look like what we have done in the past. If we are going to take seriously this whole idea of being on mission, then it affects how we do things. And one of the things that we've seen through the last couple of years, and in the early days of doing Fall Fest, I think we've done uh, nine uh, through the years as, as a church, uh, we wanted people to come to North Star because we wanted them to check us out to know where we were and uh, provide an opportunity to minister to our community. Uh, but one of the things that we've seen the last couple of years is, wow, everybody's doing a Fall Fest. And it seems like half of them are doing it at the exact same time that we are doing it. So we've kind of changed our mindset a little bit as far as for what we're going to try to do this year. And instead of asking everybody to come to us, we're going to bring Fall Fest to them. 
and we are going to have a fall fest out in the community. We're, we've, we are in process of, of working out all the details. We've got to wait for uh, final approval from different places that we've checked and all that stuff. A little bit more, you know, a little different scenario than what we've done in the past. Uh, but we're going to have, I think the handout calls it the fastest fall fest that you have ever seen. And uh, we're just going to go out in the community. Instead of asking the community to come to us, we're going to go to them and try to meet them where they are with their needs. Uh, Feed the City is going to look a little bit different too, and we're going to incorporate those two events together. So we've got the details that are there in your handout and hope that you will check that out. And you'll be hearing more about that because it's going to take all of us working together uh, to pull that event off. And uh, you'll hear more about how you can sign up, what you can be involved with it with doing. So we want to encourage you to do that. Uh, we've got a few changes with some of the things you may have noticed a little different. Uh, North Star thing, we're kind of in process of, of updating our logo. Our website has changed. Um, if you go to NS for North Star, but go to ns.church, uh, that's our new website. And uh, you can see that and update, and it's going to be changing our email addresses and all that stuff. Um, if you, like, just by chance, and I was trying to do some stuff on my phone, trying to send something to my new email, and my phone kept arguing with me, like, no, I'm going to send it to this old one. And um, I've learned that you don't throw it down and hit it because, yeah, you won the argument, but then your phone's broke. Um, but, um, you know, it'll... There are people that know how to do all that electrical stuff and digital, computer, whatever, and uh, it'll still forward to our old addresses, but I wanted to make you uh, aware of some of those changes, just kind of that fresh look and those fresh opportunities uh, with that. Um, today, what we're going to be talking about, we're, we're kicking off the whole Love Your City, and what, what we're going to look at today, and we'll just go ahead and kind of throw it out to you at the beginning, is this whole idea that as believers, we are supposed to experience biblical community. Uh, we're supposed to experience biblical community. And I'm just going to go ahead and cut to the chase today. Uh, we're not going to do anything with smokes and mirrors or have any hidden, hidden agenda or anything like that. We're just going to tell you, um, I'm just going to tell you right from the get-go what the point of, of what we're talking about today. So if you need to check out mentally, you got to work on the grocery list, uh, there are injuries, and you got to fix your fantasy football lineup, you can do all that stuff while I'm talking, because I'm going to give you the point of the whole message right here at the beginning. We want you to get in a small group. That's it. That's it. We, get, we want you to get in a small group. Um, and, and you may look at that and it's like, well, you know, you talk about small groups before and all that, but, but here's, here's the thing that I think a lot of people don't really understand because it, it takes a while to get it. it. It takes a while to understand the whole concept of biblical community and, 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 and why God wants that for us. And we're going to unpack that today, but we feel that small groups are such an important part of what needs to be happening in the life of a believer. We think that it's so important that we want everybody to get involved in a small group. Um, and as we're going to look at today, it's something that not just we want, but it's part of the plan that God has for us in our life, that whole concept and that idea of, of, of experiencing biblical community. And, it, and, and God really started out the whole concept of helping us to understand that in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, because one of the things that we find out is God is relational. We serve and follow a God who is relational. And he shows that about himself in Genesis chapter 1. So if you want to look in there, you can follow along on the screen. Um, this is like the first page of the Bible. So God is, is kind of laying out some framework about who he is and a little bit of his nature right here at the very beginning. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us, 
Remember, pay attention to that word there. Let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. When we look at this aspect, we see that that God is a relational God because God had this initial relationship. That word I pointed back out to, God is saying, let us make man, humankind in our image. If, if, if you're looking at that in the, 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 the tense of those pronouns, it's plural. It's plural. God's not talking to himself. He's talking to somebody. So that there was somebody there that he was talking to that he had a relationship with. And um, some people have thrown us like, well, God was talking to the angels. And yeah, um, and how all this works out and when the angels came into being and all that stuff, that's, you know, beyond, beyond my, my understanding and all that. But if, if God is looking at the, okay, let's create them in, in our image, I don't think God is talking about, let's create them in the image of angels because, you know, God has something more and special and more important for his role of, of, of man. What God, and what we see here is an early introduction to the concept of the Trinity, uh, when you look in the book of John, and, and this is kind of how we all tie together, and there's nowhere in the Bible that you're going to actually find the word Trinity. Uh, that's not a word that is used in there. It's a concept that, that we see uh, within Scripture. But I remember in John 1, uh, John, as he's writing, he's kind of laying the groundwork for what's going to happen there in his gospel. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, the Word that he's referring to is Jesus. So he's saying, in the very beginning, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And so when God is talking here in, in, in Genesis 1, and he's saying that let us make mankind in our image, he's referring to himself and the whole trinity and so we are made in that image of God now if you're like me you're trying to swallow that whole concept and really understand it's like okay if if we believe in this doctrine and that's this is a doctrine that we believe as a church uh, if you look uh, if you remember through 101 and uh, through our statement of faith this is a concept that we believe in it's the fact that we believe that we serve one God but he exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you really try to, to wrap your head around that and try to understand exactly what that means, if you're like me, after a while, your head's going to start to hurt. Because we can, we can understand the concept and we can understand, but how does that exist? What exactly does that look like? And we realize this is so much bigger than me. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It is okay. Let me, let me throw this out. This is for free today. It is okay that there are concepts about God that we don't completely understand. There, it's okay if there are things that when we look at God and, and how He is, it's like, man, that's just too complicated for me. Because if we were serving and following a God that we could figure everything out, that's not a very big God. I mean, I look at some of the things that I don't understand, like with technology and, and, and graphics and how you know, I can shoot a message here and it goes up with satellites and bounces here. How does that, all that stuff work? I can't understand that. So if I can figure out everything about God, then he's not a very big God. But fortunately, we do serve a very big God. So it's okay that there are some concepts that we kind of got an understanding for. This is what we believe. I don't fully understand it. That's okay. It's okay to, to wrestle with those things and go through that. But we see here this early concept that, a, that God has a relationship with the Trinity, but it wasn't that, he, that that was just enough. He was wanting to have a relationship 
with man as well. So it wasn't just, hey, I'm going to have a relationship with animals because we see here through this account of creation that God was going to create them different. We don't see here that God says, hey, the animals, you know, uh, the, 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 the giraffes and the elephants and the birds and the swimmy fish and all that stuff, let's create them in our image. No, the only thing that he says that he's going to create in his image is mankind. So we see that God has created a different nature to that relationship of the relationship that he desires to have with us and that he was intentional with it. You know, this wasn't just um, accidentally happened. God was purposeful. You know, we see that he, he made the stars and he made the water and he created the earth and all the different aspects of it and then created the animals. But then he gets real specific when he talks about creating mankind. So we see that this is something that God was very intentional about. So we see that God himself is relational, but then also God created us to be relational as well. God created us to be relational. And we see that, you can turn the page in your Bible to Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and this is a different account of the creation story. It doesn't mean that it didn't happen this way or this way. It's just kind of two different sides. It's like hearing two different perspectives on what happens with the creation. Genesis two eighteen, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. Now, I don't want to take this verse out of context, but follow the, the overall um, direction that this verse is heading. God says it's not good to be for man to be alone. And so that's why he created a helper for him. That is why um, for Adam, God created Eve. So I'm not by any means taking away um, what God is saying here about the importance of the marriage relationship, um, having that helpmate for man and for a husband and wife to come together. I'm not taken away from any of that. But if you look at just the first part of that as far as for what God is saying, is God is saying it wasn't good enough for Adam to just be hanging out with the animals. There was something missing. Adam needed something else in his life. And what he needed in his life was he needed relationship. He needed companionship. He needed to have interaction with somebody else, another person that was similar to him but not like him. And that's why the Bible says there that it wasn't good for man to be alone because God did not create us to be in isolation. He created us to be with one another. And, and, and this is, the, I guess, the key concept or the key point to realize from that is that when, when God created us, He created us in such a way that if we lack that interaction with another person, it's not a good thing. God created us in such a way that if we lack interaction with another person, with other people, it's not a good thing. God desires for us to have relationships and to have that connectedness. And uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes really kind of lays out uh, the, um, the, the purpose out of the mindset. When you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, uh, verse 9, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to the one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. 
You see, God has created us in such a way that we need that interdependence uh, with one another. And it, it's, it's, it's the whole concept, the mindset here of what Solomon is saying is it's like, you know, it's a whole lot better for two people than one person. You know, if you've got work to do, it, yeah, it's better to have two people. Um, if somebody falls down, if you've fallen, um, and, you know, the old commercial, old commercial, uh, you know, somebody, you know, I've fallen and I can't get up, you know, it's, it, it's a bad thing when you fall and you don't have a way to get up. And that's what Solomon is saying is it's important when you have that. But I love this image here that he talks about a three a cord of three strands as a way uh, that um, some, some, uh, some translations define that. And if you've ever paid attention, really paid attention to rope um, and, and look at the nature of it, you've got individual strands that are interwoven together. And it's not just that they're, they're side by side, but they're, they're actually linked and wrapped around each other. Because if you've got something just like a simple thread, um, you know, if you've ever tried, if you've got a little thread hanging from your shirt and you can take it and pull it, sometimes you take it and pull it and you unravel half of your shirt and it looks like a bad cartoon. Um, I've had that happen. It's like, no, no, stop. So you get, anyway, um, but, but if you try to do that with a rope, it's not able to do that because those cords are, are, are interwoven uh, amongst each other. And that's the image of, of, of what God desires for us as individuals. Is, it's not that just we're supposed to be in proximity to other people. It's that our lives are supposed to be interwoven with the lives of other people. Um, that's why loneliness is such a real thing. You know, that's why people get, get lonely, and it's a struggle for some. And it's because God didn't make us to be that way. If loneliness wasn't a real thing, and if it didn't go counter to the way God created us, then you wouldn't have people that struggle with loneliness. It's like, okay, there's nobody around me. I don't have interaction with people. I'm good with that. I don't like people anyway. They just get in the way. They get in the way and they drive their cars and in front of my car and they're in the line at the checkout place. And, and, but, but those things may still bother us. Um, but, but you see people that struggle with that concept of, of, of being lonely and feel like, okay, there's people around me, but nobody really cares about me. Nobody really cares about what's going on in my life. And it's because God created us to have relationships with other people. And to need those relationships with one another. And he emphasizes that so much even through the New Testament. There are like 51 another's in the New Testament. And there are 30 of them that are actual commands. Commands that these are things that God tells us to do. But the only way that we can do them is if we're in relationships with other people. Um, some of the ones that there are is uh, Galatians 5.13 says serve one another. Uh, Colossians 3.13 says forgive one another. Romans 12.10 says be devoted to one another, and it also says to honor one another. Romans 15.7 says to accept one another. Romans 16.16 16 says greet one another. Um, that one actually says greet one another with a holy kiss. And um, I remember in high school we were trying to figure out, okay, where can we go do that? But anyway, um, Galatians uh, 6.2 says bear one another's burdens. And then uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says to encourage one another. All of those one another's and there are bunches, bunches more. We cannot do them unless we are in relationship. So we, help to, we have to understand this, this concept. Not only is God relational and he created us to be relational, but God wants us to interact with others. God wants us to interact with others. And we see, they, we see that played out very early um, in, in the Bible in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis 12... Uh, verse 1, this is the call of Abraham. This is the time where God is initiating his covenant uh, with what was going to become his chosen people. So in Genesis 12, verse 1, 
the Lord said to Abram, who he later named Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now here's something to see right off the bat. Abraham, uh, his, his family and, and most of, of, of society and culture at that time, they were nomadic people. They, they raised uh, cattle, sheep, goats, um, animals of that nature. And so you just kind of moved wherever, you know, the, 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 the grass was and stuff. They lived in tents. That was kind of the normal thing. But when God entered into his, his covenant with Abraham and when he was initiating that relationship with him, God says, all right, I want you to leave this place. Now, this place that uh, Abraham was leaving, that's, that's where his father lived. That's where Abraham grew up. That's where his father was, his grandfather, his great-grandfather. Remember, they lived long back then, so it was great-great-grandfather and great-great-great, you know. And that, that was home. That was home base. That was... That was all of his people. That's what he had always known. But God said, I want you to leave there. And I want you to go to the place that I want to show you. You see, when we enter into relationships with other people and we truly interact in relationships with other folks, sometimes we've got to leave our safe place. We've got to leave the place that we're comfortable and we have got to talk to other people and we've got to interact with other people and we've got to have that relationship with them. So it's not always going to be easy, but God calls us at times to leave our safe place. Now, the other concept about that of what God was doing in Abraham is it wasn't just, I'm going to bless you because, you know, we like that. This is the, hey, God is going to bless us. God's going to do things for me. Everything's going to go great. But what God was saying to Abraham was more than just, hey, I'm going to bless you you're going to be a blessing. Meaning that as you go and as you leave your safe place and as you begin to interact with other people, you are going to be a blessing to them. So it's not just, you know, hey, you're going to be getting good stuff. There are going to be things that are going to happen in the lives of other people. They are going to be blessed because you're going to be the conduit. You're going to be the one that is carrying to them a blessing. Now, and not just those people that he goes to, but in the, in the last part of verse 3, and it says... In you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is, this is so much bigger and, than, than what Abraham was e- even able to fully comprehend. It wasn't just, okay, I'm going to go to this place, I'm going to be blessed, and then the people that I'm around. Eventually, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed because of what is going on in me and what is happening in my life. Now, when, when God was establishing this covenant with Abraham, and he was setting aside the Israelites, uh, and what we're going to become the Jews as being his chosen people, it didn't just end with them. Because of Jesus, and because of Jesus fulfilling the covenant, because of his, his death for us on the cross and us entering into a relationship with him, that covenant has been extended from God's chosen people, the Israelites, to God's chosen people, all those that are within Christ. You see, before the, the, the right relationship, God came through that covenant, that belief in the God of Abraham. But when Jesus came, he extended it, and so that the ones who were 
God's chosen people are those that are in Christ. They have that relationship with Him. So when you look at the purpose of what God has for relationship, God's desire for us is not just to bless us, but His desire for us is to be a blessing. So He desires for us to be blessing, and because of Him being at work through us, His chosen people, those that are in Christ, we have the opportunity to be a blessing to those throughout the world. And here's the thing. None of that is going to happen if we're not in relationships with other people, if we're not interacting with other people. So when you look at this whole concept, we understand God's relational. He created us to be relational. He wants us to have that relationship and interaction with other people. Okay, all of that makes sense, but what's the problem? Well, here's the problem. We don't always like to operate that way. Um, Bill Willits is uh, one of the founding pastors of North Point Church in the Atlanta metro area. Uh, that's uh, Andy Stanley's uh, church. Andy was the, the founding lead pastor, but, but Bill was one of the uh, guys on the leadership team. He was actually their, their very first small group pastor. And this is what uh, Bill said in, in relation to the change of what has actually taken place in society and culture, uh, especially American society and culture. It says, we are a society living in isolation seldom enjoying the benefits of meaningful relationships. We live and work around a lot of people, but most of us have chosen to do life alone. You see, there has been a shift in culture and that people don't want to have that interaction with other people. They would just rather go through life as it is. Now, we're good with that interaction with family. You know, we like our family. We like most of our family. You know, we're sometimes good with the people that live in our house, but the people that, you know, don't live in our house, that, you know, we still got the same last name or, or somehow or another, we're, we don't know how, you know, surely we were dropped in by aliens or something. But no, I mean, we, we've got family that we struggle with, but, you know, we're okay with some of them, but those, those are just the people that we want to we interact with. We've got our few that we like, but we, we're just good with leaving everybody else alone. And we work with people, we see people at the stores, but we still want to live lives in isolation. Um, if you look, there's been a change within uh, architecture uh, for homes uh, within the last, I don't know, maybe 30, 25, 30 years or so. If you go back before that, and even going back a couple hundred years in homes, a lot of your homes, if you had the ability to do so, you had a front porch. Had that big old front porch, and, and, and the real nice ones, they, they would expand uh, they would cover the entire front of the house, uh, you know, four or five feet wide. And if, 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 if you could, you just didn't have that front porch. That front porch, you'd go around the side, and, you could, and then you'd run down the side of your house. And, and you've got, you know, you got your ferns hanging up and your rocking chairs and all that stuff. But it was, it was the idea that, you know, you're out on the front porch, and as the, the, the day passed, you can sit out on your front porch and uh, in a, Americana back in the 40s and 50s and all that, people are walking down the neighborhood and you're sitting on your front porch and you can interact with folks. They come up and sit in the rocking chair with you. You can have that communication and all that. But you don't see that in a lot of your new home construction now. They're not emphasizing the front porch. Where's that work going to? The backyard. You've got that deck out there. And you've got all these things that are connecting to the back of the house and you've got this deck where you can go out and after a long day you can go into your backyard and not be bothered by anybody anybody other than the people that you've invited to come into your backyard and we have gone and we have isolated ourselves so where we don't have to have that communication with our neighbors we can just go in back we've got people that spend thousands 
um, of dollars on home theater systems, and we've got our subscriptions uh, to Netflix and to Hulu and to all the premium sports channels and movie channels and all the stuff, so we don't have to go out uh, to the movie theater if we don't want to. We don't have to go to the sporting event. Go to a sporting event and have to carry all my stuff and fight all that traffic when I can watch a ball game on my 70,000 square inch television. I mean, these things are massive. Um, and, and we don't have to have that interaction with people anymore. You see, there's been a cultural shift that has moved us away to where we no longer have that desire and that interest in interacting with those around us. But as believers, that's not what God's called us to do. You see, God's desire for us as, as we look at how we've been created is to have that interaction. So first of all, as believers, God has called us to interact with the world. God's called us to interact with the world as believers, and we see that in Matthew 5. Um, Matthew 5 remembers the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' message here, uh, kind of his initial message as he's, he's outlining uh, who he is and, and his message. And in, it starts off with the Beatitudes. And in Matthew 5, 13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and is trampled underfoot. Verse 14 says, You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. When you look at this concept God calls us to be salt and light. Um, there has been a lot, of, uh, a lot of theologians that have taken that whole you are the salt of the earth um, and looked at all the different concepts of saltiness. You know, at the time it was used as a preservative. It was used as a, a form of wages uh, back in the Roman Empire and all those different concepts of it. I just want to look at the basic part of it. Salt is used as seasoning. God has used us and God's desire for us as believers is that we are to be seasoning in, in, in the world around us. Now, here's the thing about seasoning. Good seasoning can make a huge impact. You, with a good season, you can infect your entire pot. Um, I don't know if you know this about me or not, but I grew up in New Orleans, was born there, lived there until, until went off to college. And uh, yes, we eat Cajun food in our house and Creole food, food and all that stuff. We like things spicy. We have different degrees of spiciness as far as what we like, but you know, that's just kind of one of the things we do. Well, we've, we've started a tradition. I don't know if it's a tradition. It's just kind of what we've done the last few years. But whenever State and LSU play, uh, we'll just have red beans. Um, you know, just, and so I'll make a, a mess of red beans. That's just what we do. And um, through the years as I've been, you know, trying to, to work on that and cook it and all that stuff, you know, I like things spicier than some of the other members of my house. We all like the flavor, and, and none of us are the thing of, you know, let's just see how much hot sauce that we can pour in something. Uh, and I know people that do that, and it's like, why? You're ruining your food. Um, it's, you know, if, if you want to do the hot, you know, just take the bottle of Tabasco, chug it back, and then, okay, well, I'll be impressed on you. But when you're coming to food, you can mess up food when you just put too much hot sauce on it. If you want a little heat, that's fine. But, you know, you're missing the flavors of the food. Well, when, when you make things, you know, like red beans and gumbo and stuff like that, or, or, or a good stew for, for folks that do that, you know, there's a thing of, you know, it never quite comes out the same twice, you know, because like, oh, I think I'll put a little bit more than this time, and I'll do this, and I'll do that, and, and it fluctuates. But, well, I remember one time I was making 
uh, red beans. I said, okay, let me put in some cayenne and do a little white pepper and black pepper and, okay, now some Tabasco sauce. Trying to get the, you know, the just right of the flavor because the beans will absorb a lot of the, the flavor and stuff. And so I'm working on, on all this and we're sitting down to eat it and I'm going, okay, this has got some kick to it. Uh-oh. Because <laughs> in the house, I probably do a little bit more heat than everybody else. And, and they're like, yep, yep, this is kind of hot. So, you know, there's that thing to, to figure it all out. Well, uh, I have made attempts in life, and not usually very good, uh, but to have a garden and to be a gardener, doing vegetable gardening. And sometimes it's worked out good. Most of the time it hasn't. <laughs> but uh, a couple years ago, I'm going through lows, and when, all the, when it's spring and everything's growing, it's like, oh, this looks good, and oh, this looks good. I'm going to grow all of these things. I've got this much space, but we're going to buy 5,000 plants. But anyway, so, but, but they had a, a Tabasco pepper plant. And so I'm just like, I'm going to grow my own Tabasco peppers. And then like a month later, it's like, okay, what am I going to do with these if they actually grow? But, you know, we grew the Tabasco peppers and did all that. And it, it did okay through the summer, but... Um, kind of mid to late September, once it cooled a little bit, it just flourished, and it was beautiful, uh, because as the peppers would turn, you know, they'd start kind of yellow, and they go orange and red, and you look out there, and you've got all these beautiful multicolored peppers on there, and they're just little bitty things, and, um, and, and it was fantastic, and so I start looking on internet, because, okay, what are you going to do with, like, 35 little bitty Tabasco peppers? It's like, you need thousands to do sauce, so it's like, okay, I can't do those if I could do this, and so I'm looking through different things, and, you know, we'd put them in a few dishes, and, and figuring all that stuff out about them. Well, um, there was a hard freeze that was going to be coming, and so it's like, okay, if I don't do something, I'm going to lose all of them, so I went out, and I saw you can freeze them. You can freeze a little bitty Tabasco peppers. It messes up the texture of them, but if you're just using them for cooking, you know, is it crispy? Is it squishy? It doesn't matter because you're going, you're going to cook it. So anyway, I, I, I clipped off all the Tabasco peppers, and I got about 30, 35 of them, stuck them in the freezer. So whenever um, I cook red beans, I don't put in a whole bunch of cayenne, and I don't put a whole bunch of, of Tabasco sauce. I'll get one of those little bitty Tabasco peppers. Now, as a brief aside, to take one of those plain Tabasco peppers and then to eat it because you just want to see how hot is it really by itself yeah don't do that don't do that just trust me on that one don't do that one but anyway I'll just take one of those little bitty Tabasco peppers I'll dice it up put it in the in the red bean stir it all up and and all by itself it gives it all what it needs you see, when Jesus was saying, you're the salt of the earth, you're the seasoning for the earth, we may feel small, we may feel insignificant, but because of what Christ is doing in our life, he'll take our littleness and he allows us to make an impact in the world around us. And the next verse, it talks about, you know, you're the light of the world. Um, I don't think I need to go into a whole lot of explanation or to the details of the fact that we live in a time of darkness. Uh, the world around us is very, very dark. But God says, I want you to be light. I want you to be light. Now, when you look at those concepts of God calling us to be salt into a place that needs seasoning, where we need to make an impact, and then he calls us to be light, well, the only way you can be light is you go into a place of darkness. God, Jesus is telling us right here, it's like, look, you've got to be involved in the world. You've got to go to where they are. You've got to be involved in the lives of others. Now, here's the thing to keep in mind about that. And, and Jesus has kind of given us the direction of the framework for that happens in verse 16. He says, um, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Um, for that to happen, that means we're going to be in the world, but we're not going to be doing the things that the way the world does them. 
uh, we're not going to be compromising. We're going to still stay true to what God has called us to do and who he's called us to be. So we don't compromise. But here's the other thing. We also don't approach the world with a holier-than-thou attitude where we stand before people and say, yes, I see you right there. Yes, you're a sinner. You are a much heathen person. I'm not. I'm very holy. I'm doing everything's right. But look at all the mistakes that you're making. Look at how you've done this wrong. Because see, here's the thing. When we go to the world with that holier-than-thou attitude of the mindset of I'm good and you're bad, then the world does not respond to us of, wow, I'm going to give glory to God for how your attitude of how you're treating me. It doesn't work that way. When we go and we're truly salt and light in lives of people and we make a difference, then the world, Jesus is saying it's the world here doing this. They look at how you act, how you respond to them, how you interact with them and say, you know, I may not believe what you believe. I may not see things the way that you think, see things. But there's something about you and your relationship with God. It makes you act different. And that's a good thing. Because that's the only way that that's going to happen for the world to give glory for, what's, for once they see our works. Is when we go with that attitude, when we go with that mindset of being and sharing the love of Christ. That's why uh, Love Your City is so important, is we try to take advantage of these opportunities to make a difference in our community. That's why our teams come together, our groups come together, and we seek to serve our community because we want to be salt and light in a world that so desperately needs it. But it's not just the interaction with the world that we need to have. As believers, we need to have that interaction with the body of Christ. And Matthew 18, Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus is teaching here, and he says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there among them. Now, it makes sense for God to be present um, whenever there's a huge crowd. Remember when Jesus was feeding the 5,000 and he did the miracle of the loaves and the fishes and all that? It's easy to say, oh yeah, Jesus was there right when that happened. Well, that makes sense. But Jesus is saying, no, I, I, I want to look at things a little bit differently. The whole concept that he's talking about here is the idea of, of the Greek word koinonia. Uh, and it carries the word and the idea of fellowship. And um, a, a good definition for it when, when, when talking about koinonia is communion. It's joint participation. It identifies the idealized state of fellowship and unity that should exist within the Christian church, the body of Christ. There's that idea of joint participation, meaning that together we are doing something together. It's not just me going out and doing things. We are together. We're living life together. We're in community. But it's also the idea of unity. In uh, John uh, 17, uh, verse 11, I, be I believe it is, Jesus is um, he's in the upper room. He's with the disciples. This is his final prayers before he goes to the garden and he's arrested. And what he says um, in his prayer, one of the things that he prays in the, in the last half of that verse is he's praying to God and his prayer to God is that they may be one, talking about us, that they may be one just as we are one. You see, Jesus' desire for his followers, and that includes us, is that we would have the same unity that he and the Father have. And we cannot have that unity if we're not seeking to unite ourselves with anybody else, if we're not in that relationship. But here's the thing, the emphasis is on small. The emphasis is on small. Jesus doesn't say, okay, hey, we're either, you know, four or five hundred or a thousand are gathered. He said, if just even where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm right there in the amongst of them. Now, it's, it's true that as believers, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so, yes, technically, wherever we go, God is with us and God's present with us. Yeah, but 
But Jesus isn't talking about that. He's talking about something a little bit different. You know, it's one thing if you're believers and you go and do something, and it's like, okay, we're going to go to a ball game, and, and that's good, and it's good to have that hangout. But, but Jesus is saying, look, whenever at least two or three of you are getting together because of me, then I'm right there with you. You see, when we talk about doing small groups and when we talk about having fellowship like it talks about here, it's not just, oh, we're going to go out and we're going to watch a ball game or we're going to watch a movie. No, we're getting together because of Jesus. We're getting together because of God. We're getting together because we have a relationship with Him. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're getting together because we have a relationship with Him and, and we want to nurture and grow and develop that relationship even more. So the question I ask is who is your community? Who's your community? Who are the people that you're hanging out and doing with life with? You see, God created us to be relational. I think a lot of us, where we get our relationship fixed from is from people at work. It's like, hey, I've got these good friends at work, and I talk about stuff with them and, and share things, what's going on, and we've got that good relationship and stuff. And that's not a bad thing, but if we're missing that relationship with biblical community, with other believers, with other brothers and sisters in Christ that we're missing the full picture of what God has for us when we look at that whole concept. So what we need to do and what we seek to do is to, to provide opportunities for you as a church where we give you opportunities to experience biblical community. And the way that we do that is through small groups. See, I made it to the end. That was our point. Um, the way that we do that is through small groups. And our desire for you as a person here at North Star is to get to move you from rows to circles. We want to move people from rows to circles because we want to connect you to a relationship with Christ, but we also want to help you to connect in a relationship with other people. And the way that we do that is through our small groups. Because here's the thing, um, when we're sitting in rows, like we're doing right now, and, you know, kind of look around, y'all are in rows right now, and everybody's looking at me right now. Okay, that's self-conscious. But anyway, I mean, but, but here's the focus you're doing there, and you can't have a whole lot of interaction with one another. If you're sitting over here, you can't really react with the people over here. And if you're sitting up here in the front, you can't really interact with the people in back. And we miss that connection of what's going on in the lives of others. And sometimes we see it uh, when we're on the stage because of something that happens through worship or something that happens through the Word that uh, somebody is moved, and the reason why they're moved is because something's going on in their life. They, they're, they're facing a struggle. Maybe things aren't going good at home, or they've lost their job, or they've just found out that they've got a medical issue, and it doesn't look good. And something triggers that, and, and you can tell by their countenance that all of a sudden that something has changed. And we may see that here up on the stage, but you don't know. You don't know what's happening. You don't know what's going on in people's lives because we're all sitting in rows. But when you're in a small group and somebody says something and then all of a sudden somebody's countenance change and, and you see that tear begin to go down, it's like, wait a second, what's going on? What's happening? And you've got that, inter you've got that opportunity for interaction and to say, wow, let me, let me pray with you. Let me pray for you. Let me be able to check on you through the week. I want to care about what's going on in your life because we're not just in rows facing one way. We're in circles where we're connecting and being involved in one another's life. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to have that interdependence as believers. Um, and that's why we want to get you, help, help you get in a small group. Um, we've got our small groups listed on our website, um, ns.church slash groups, I think is the new address for that. Um, you can find it real easy uh, on there. We're going to have some of our small group leaders are actually going to be out at the group's kiosk uh, after it's all over so you can put a face with the names. And um, our desire for you is if you're not involved in a small group to go ahead and get in one because that's what God wants for you. Now let me tell you this off the bat, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Uh, there's a different level of commitment. It's always hard when you're interacting with other folks, but nothing that we ever do in life that's worthwhile is ever easy. 
Um, life just doesn't work that way. It's going to take some effort on your part, but God wants us to do that because we're able to do life together. We're able to serve together, and it shows God's love for us because what God is saying to us is, I don't want you to be alone. I don't ever, ever, ever want you to be alone, and I love you so much that I just don't want to give you myself, but I want to give you one another so that you never have to be alone in life. Pray with me. Father God, we're just so thankful for your love for us. God, how you, um, God, you just, you desired us to be relational people. Um, your desire is to give us one another, but Father, your desire is also to give us yourself. And God, uh, I thank you for that and for the fact that we never have to go through life alone. God, I just pray for, um, for our folks in our church. God, I know it's a, it's a struggle and sometimes um, it's going to take effort, but God, I just pray um, that you'll just help people see the need to get involved in a small group. And God, to be able to have that biblical community in their life because you created us uh, to have it. God, you want it for us. You want us to um, not just be blessed as we interact with others, but God, you want to take us and our gifts and our passions that we have, and you want us to be able to bless others. And um, God, I just thank you that you created the church to be a way for that to happen. Um, if you'll just um, keep your, your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a second. Yeah, our, our point today um, is, is for you to get in a small group, but remember the first point is that God is relational, and, and God wants to have a relationship with you. And, I mean, you may have some friends that you hang out and do stuff with, but you realize it's like, man, I'm, I am going through life alone because I don't have that initial relationship. And you can be connected with other people. You can be connected with other believers. But if you don't have that in, initial connection with uh, Jesus Christ, then you're going to find all of those relationships are going to be lacking. And um, to enter into a relationship with Christ is, is easy. Um, we, we just ask them. We just say, God, I, I want to have a relationship with you. And it's, and it's more than just a friendship. It's, it's allowing God um, to be our Lord, um, which means that he gives us direction in life. Um, it means that our passions and our desires and the things that we're seeking after are not necessarily ours anymore, but they're his. And so we seek after the things that he wants us to, and we go in the direction that he wants us to go uh, rather than just going our way. But, um, but I tell you, once, once you enter into that relationship, um, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Um, and if today you want to do that, just, just pray in your heart and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that my sin has separated me from you. God, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and save me. And if, and if you did that, um, God's true to his word, and, and, and he saved you. And um, the next step is telling somebody about it. Um, because when we tell somebody that, hey, I'm following Jesus now, that's that first step of entering into and of being a part of a biblical community. And that's what we want for you. We want you to connect. We want to connect you to God, but we want to connect you to one another as well. Um, maybe for some of you today, you need to get plugged into a small group. And uh, again, we're going to have folks out into the service that you could talk to. Get one of the brochures that we got out there so you can see the days, the times, the locations, and all that stuff. And uh, call the church office, email me, or whatever. We, we want to help you get connected. We want to help you get involved because it is that important. It is that important to your walk with Christ. Stand and pray with me. Father God, we're so thankful that you love us. God, thank you for giving us a place where we can come together, where we can experience life with one another. And God, just help us to, as the body of Christ, be faithful as we seek to serve you together and live life on mission for you. In Christ's name that we pray.